You're listening to Calvary La Habra's podcast. For more information, visit us at calvarylh.com. Thanks for listening. Let's turn our Bibles over to Ephesians 5. We are going to um, pick up where we left off on Sunday morning and uh, our Acts chapter 2 study. So for all of you that are gathered here, welcome, welcome. For you that are online as well, welcome to you. Um, we're going we're gonna to talk tonight about the filling of the Holy Spirit. We, we left off, went through Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and really we focused on the birthing of the church, but we, we looked at that group of 120 people who gathered in an upper room somewhere in the city of Jerusalem over a 10-day period holding prayer meetings. They were a group of people who heard uh, the disciples or maybe even Jesus himself as he was talking about, don't, don't leave Jerusalem. This is before he ascended. And heart to heart, wide eye to wide eye, don't leave Jerusalem. Um, but just hang out. And as... John baptized people in water. They were immersed in water. Not many days from now, you guys are going to be baptized uh, with the Holy Spirit. And so, as Jesus would ascend, that group would grow from just the 11 apostles. We looked at um, the significance of that group. We looked at the significance of the day. Um, It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. We gave some background and perspective as to what Pentecost was and how God's timing is always perfect because that is the one uh, feast week. They have their, their, their prominent celebrations. Their biggest one really is Passover. And in Israel, they'll be celebrating Passover this coming Friday. But uh, Pentecost, the word Pentecost means 50th. So 50 days following Passover they would have the Feast of Pentecost. And we talked about that was significant because that would come uh, around June and that would be a time of the year where more people would travel. And so it was this massive multiculture, multi-ethnic population of visitors that just filled up the city. And it was at that time that, that this group, waiting upon the Lord, praying being like mind, one mission, which was a focus on Jesus and his mission. And one day they show up and the Holy Spirit just fills them. And that would, of course, lead to them, as we talked about, the uniqueness of what happened, that what happened to them supernaturally. God met them there. Uh, we, we, we read and it said that it was like this wind It was a sound as of a wind. That was one thing supernaturally that took place as they were waiting upon the Lord for him to, you know, fill them with the Holy Spirit, for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. And then there were, as as seemed to be, divided tongues of fire (laughs) on top of each one of them. Every single one of them experienced this, and they began to speak in different dialects and tongues. And so we talked about the significance of that, that Dr. Luke, Dr. Detail, as I call him, was wanting us to know that this filling of the Holy Spirit, 
in the, in the New Testament era now, following now Christ's death, burial, resurrection, it was a signal. This is for every single one of you. And so uh, we looked at the significance of that. We looked at the significance of the gift or the, this phenomenon of speaking in tongues, a supernatural impartation and enablement of God. We talked about uh, nowhere through the book of Acts or throughout the New Testament do we see uh, them in any kind of corporate setting or even the mention of the wind again or the fire again in that sense. Um, but we do see throughout the book of Acts, and we case and pointed those scriptures and throughout the New Testament, the uh, church Christians continuing to speak in tongues. Um, and so as we were, we were going through all of that, I wanted to, um, you know, make sure that we understood again, all of us, that what began was a work of God. What we read about was a work of God. What enabled the early church to promote the gospel in the face of martyrdom, in the face of Roman persecution, what enabled the church to move forward and speak boldly, for them to continue gathering, for them to plant churches, for them to evangelize their, their, their loved ones and their community, what allowed them to no longer be slave and free, but one, male and female, but one, Greek, Scythian, Gentile, no longer but one. What, what allowed that, what, what made that possible was the work of God through the continuing work of his spirit in people and, and through them, coming upon them. And filling them. And so we believe it is essential that we, we see this as a continued work of God. This was not just a one-time event, but the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon people, the infilling in the sense of people are filled with the Holy Spirit. Initially, of course, we are filled with the Holy Spirit when we are born again, but then we have this refreshing and this renewal also termed as being filled with the Holy Spirit. And, of course, this group here is the first to experience that, and then the church would continue to experience that, thus giving them the ability, the power of God to advance the gospel and to advance the church that Jesus said he would build. And so we noted that as... Peter will be questioned. We'll get there in a couple of weeks after Easter and all of that. But Peter will be questioned by those observing, you know, wow, these Galileans are all here, and they're, they're, but they're speaking in our dialects, different dialects. It would set up Peter's first sermon. And he would address some of the, the, the statements that were being made. These people are, they mock them. You know, they're, they're crazy, they're, they're, they're drunk. And Peter's like, no, 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 men of Judea. You guys around Jerusalem, understand, let this be known to you. Don't, don't get this wrong. These, these people that are, you're hearing speaking in tongues right now, they are not drunk. It's just the third hour of the day. Come on, just be logical. It's still kind of early here. But this is what the word of God told us would happen. And he case in pointed, referring to 
the outpouring of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, and the manifestation of these people speaking in tongues, that very thing that Paul would list as a spiritual gift later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He's like, that's not their flesh. This is what Joel said God would do. This is a work of God. In Joel 2, 28 and 29, and he says, and it will come to pass in the last days. Why did we reference that scripture? Why are we referencing it again tonight? Because tonight I want us to be filled again with the Holy Spirit. And I don't want anybody here to buy into what some groups of Christians will promote, and that is that the gifts of the Spirit uh, terminated um, with the death of the last apostle, which would have been John. That is inaccurate. It's not what we see um, biblically. It's not what I see experientially. It's not what I've seen happen uh, throughout the body of Christ. So here in Ephesians chapter 5, um, we're going to pick up in verse 18, and we're going to go through verse 21-ish, where Paul calls the church to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What is that experience? What can we learn from this? And Paul's going to point to four things that will manifest in our life as individuals and in our midst as a church when we are being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, to put this passage in its proper context, I want to back up a little bit and just give you a summary of what Paul has been talking about. I think it's very important. But since chapter 4 in the book of Ephesians, Paul has been talking about the Christian's walk. And he starts off talking about the fact that we as Christians need to walk in unity. If you want to you know, get into the why, you would read chapters 1 through 3. If you read chapters 1 through 3, you would see all these amazing things that God has done in, in saving us. From forgiving us to adopting us uh, and, 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 and predestining us. All of these amazing things that he's done. And then in chapter 4, he begins this series of addressing our walk. Therefore, in light of what God has done in saving you, he would say, you need to have a walk that is worthy with the calling or of the calling with which you are called. So he first starts talking about the walk of, of unity or walk in unity. And he doesn't just leave us to guess. Oh, walk in unity. He defines that in all lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Every Christian leader I'm talking to these days, every pastor I'm talking to these days, anybody who has any kind of role in the church these days, if they are serious about ministry and serious about being in line with what God has called us to be as the church, every single one of us have this conversation. It's a conversation about the challenge of bringing people back together. We don't want to... We don't want to go back to what we were. That's not what we're talking about. But, but we have greater challenges in our apartness now, in our being separated now by 
COVID and all kinds of other weird philosophical things that have happened over the last 12 months. And so we have a greater challenge than ever before us to see the body unified, to see the body what Christ calls it to be, that we would walk together in sync as his family. And then you read these kind of scriptures and you're like, wow, this, is, this preaches to that. Lowliness and gentleness. Long-suffering. I can't tell you how many Christians I've talked to that are, they're so brokenhearted because they are, there's indifference in their families because of COVID, because of the different philosophies that they are dealing with, because it just, it's, it's not, I'm going to be just gentle and lowly and long-suffering and bearing with one another. No, 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 no. If you don't see it my way, you're indifferent to the point where even they, they start looking at one another as a threat. And if that's happening in families and in workplaces, it is absolutely going to be what walks into our churches. That, that mindset, that alteration that has happened within our communities and our workplaces and our families, that is who we are when we're coming together or back together for some of the people to the body of Christ. And so I think these are really crazy important scriptures endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Then in verse 7, he begins to talk about spiritual gifts. Again, chapter 4 here, that Christ gives to the church. And the purpose, again, is to equip the church, to mature the church, to make the church more like Christ. And he would also go on to say, so we would no longer digress and become less and less immature or mature, but that we would actually become mature. That we should no longer, verse 14, be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. These are like really cool highlight, write the date down, you know, that's what we should no longer be. Tossed to and fro and carried about by just all the different winds that are blowing, all the different voices that are speaking. The trickery and the cunningness and the deceit. But rather speaking the truth in love. That we might grow up into all things into him who is the head Christ. From whom the whole body is joined and, and knit together. Then in verse 17, he, he tells Christians how we are to no longer walk. We are no longer to be walking as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Check this out. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, being past conviction, have given themselves over to lewdness, given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness with, with greediness. So we're not, we're not to walk that way, like the non-believer. Then in chapter 5, where we're going here, he says that we need to be walking in love. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children 
and walk in love. He doesn't just leave you to guess. As Christ also has loved us and given us an example, himself for us as an example, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Then in chapter 5, verse 8, he begins to talk about how we need to walk in light. You were once in darkness, verse 8, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness. What's that look like again? He doesn't leave us to guess. In righteousness, in truth. Finding out what is acceptable to God. (laughs) What's your will for my life? That's part of walking in the the, the light. As children of the light. And then having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. But rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. And therefore, because of that, he says, awake, wake up. You who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. I've noticed over the last several weeks... A number of Christian brothers and sisters have come to me just like what they're experiencing. They want to talk about what they're, 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 they're experiencing in the world right now. And, and when they talk about the non-believer, there's almost a similar con, you know, concern that we've always had. They're blind. They're lost. Obviously, the lawlessness has amplified um, the, the, just the fact that people have lost their mind, <laughs> that's amplified, would you say amen? Yes to that. It just seems like they're more lost. But where I've noticed this, this similar things with people, and it was in the area of when they begin to talk about their Christian friends and the heaviness that comes over them when they, they talk about that. And, and, and I, I believe it, this particular passage speaks to what I was hearing from them. And, you know, we're, we're, we are told not to have fellowship or not to, to enter into unions and relationships and to have like-minded kind of friendships with the world. And what I'm hearing from Christians is, man, I've been sharing with my Christian friends, but they're like completely taking in the, the, the world. They're, they're, they're okay with the LGBTQ agenda. They're okay with, and they just go down the list of what they're okay with, and it's just grieving their hearts. And I'm hearing this time and time and time again. They're, they're not ashamed to, to speak even positive of those things that they should be condemning. They're not ashamed to be associated with it. They've, they've as a Christian, they've, they've just been influenced Greatly by the world. And we are called to be light and actually expose those deeds, not applaud those deeds or just concede to those deeds. And, and it's grieving the heart of a lot of Christians, and maybe that speaks to you as well. Then in verse 15, this is where we really begin to, this is where we get traction. He says, We need to be walking in wisdom. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise redeeming the time because the days 
are evil. Now this word circumspectfully here in verse 15, it comes from two Latin words, which means to look around. It's looking around carefully with each step before you take it so that you don't fall, you don't stumble. It means walking intelligently, not in ignorance. To walk with precision, like you're thinking about where you're headed. You're thinking about your next decision. You're thinking about your next step. It's walking with spiritual exactness. That's what the Word of God says. That's where I step. Word of God says, don't step there. I'm thinking about it. I step with exact exactness away from that. So we've been instructed here to walk in love, to walk in light, and now to walk in wisdom. In other words, we are to live like the people we are. Redeemed. Children of God. Not as fools. Not foolishly. We don't walk foolishly or flippantly or senselessly. The fool is the person who lives his life with no concern of God. He lives his life apart from God, without God's influence, without seeking God's will or seeking God's way. He's the one who might even deny God, has no sense of walking in the ways of God, has no desire to walk in the ways of God. But we, on the other hand, as believers, Paul says in verse 15 again, no, 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 we are to walk circumspectfully. We are to know the ways of God. We are to know the word of God, to know the ways of God. And then we are to, like, look around and we place our steps accurately based on the will of God, based on the word of God, because we are living in a world of darkness, because the days are evil. I have had this question asked me more this year than in any other span of time. And I hear it a lot. Either Lance or Pastor Lance, are we at the end? Now what's driving them to say that? They know enough of the word of God to know that lawlessness will abound. And they look around and go, whoa, we must, Jesus said, this is what's going to happen in the end days or before the end. We know that he also said the love of many will wax cold. And we see that. If we know our scripture, we're like, man, he might be coming pretty soon. We know our scriptures and we know that in the end, leading up to, well, the end on this earth for us is going to be the rapture of the church. I, I pray, okay? Amen? Either the Lord will just take us home graciously and lovingly in our sleep. <laughs> Or he is taking us all up together and we're all going to be looking at him and each other in the eyes going, that was the most rad trumpet I've ever heard in my life. Now, we, we also know that without getting, I don't want to get too far into wetting our appetite on Bible prophecy and all of that, but we know that, that as we will go up, things are going to start to go down down here. And one of the things that's going to happen is there's going to be a world leader that's going to rise to power, the Antichrist. And, and we know that he is going to make a, a peace 
treaty and a, and a covenant with the nation of Israel. He's going to reinstate their daily sacrifices, which means he's going to help them rebuild their temple. And when you have Bible-believing Christians who, who, who believe that, and then they hear some rumors in Israel right now, and coming from Israel now, that, that the Arab nations, a lot of them right now, are no longer looking at the Temple Mount as a significant piece of real estate for them. It's Mecca, Medina, then the Temple Mount, where they believe Muhammad ascended uh, into heaven. But now they're like, they're, some of their leaders are starting to go, we don't care so much about that. You have Christians, Bible-believing Christians going, Pastor Lance, do you think we're getting close? I'm like, we're closer today than we were yesterday. Do I feel this? Do I want to, you know, get our hearts racing in the wrong direction? No. But do I sense what they're saying? 100% yes. I do. Does it concern me that the enemy is going to work just as hard when he sees the end coming as what I believe even the Spirit desires to do? Does it concern me that, that the church is like apart right now? Yeah, it does. But what God is doing in individual lives, that's between them and God. I'm not, I'm not to be worried about that specifically. But I do believe that we have been blood-bought and in our DNA we are drawn together. Amen. And I think it's time for some Christians to really think about this whole walking bit. Am I really thinking through the steps that I've taken the last 12 months? What path am I on? If you, since March 15th, you know, we, we look at this, we've got we to say, I'm on a path now. It isn't March 20th of 2020, thank God, by the way. It's a year later. It's a series of steps. Where am I now? What path am I on now? Who am I, who's my circle of influence now? What kind of influence am I having on my family and my wife and my kids? It's, it's a series of steps, our walk. Walking in love. Walking in unity. Really? This is what the church looks like after 12 months? That's what walking in unity looks like? I don't think so. Walking in love, that's what, that's what this looks like. Walking in the light, we should be exposing the foolishness. You know, these are just, again, walking in wisdom. These are just considerations. Personally, I'm preaching to myself right now. You guys are just listening. One step in walking circumspectfully is the stepping stone of opportunity I have in my notes. Redeeming the time. The idea of purchasing, buying up the opportunities, seizing every precious moment, every precious opportunity. From being filled up on God's word to living out and giving out God's word. From being filled up by the Holy Spirit to being directed and used by the Holy Spirit. Another step in walking circumspectly is the stepping stone of, of wisdom here. God gave us minds and he expects us to use them, amen? 
You know, the world, when we talk about the wisdom of God, and the Bible talks about it in different terms, but James talks about the wisdom from above, and if you lack wisdom, we can ask God, and he will give it to us liberally. So, you know, the, God's understanding for our life is freely extended to every one of us. But the world doesn't seek that. And so they don't have that. And the world can't give what they don't have. They can't, they can't offer wisdom from above. But then James would also continue to talk about wisdom. And he, he talks about the, the wisdom of, of the world versus the wisdom from above. So just what is the wisdom of the world? And he just, he's like, well, it's, it's envy and bitter envy and self-seeking. And, and you know, he's like, it's, it's earthly and it's sensual and it's demonic and he's like, where envy and self-seeking and confusion exist, every evil thing will be there. Do you see that? Do you see, do you, this world is evil, and it's, it's the wisdom of the world creating what is evil. And then he contrasts that to the wisdom from above, which is pure and peaceable and gentle and willing to yield. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's without any kind of partiality, any kind of hypocrisy. And this is in the fruit of righteousness sown in peace by those who make peace. So walking in wisdom, that, should, that would mark our life. The fruit of righteousness, sowing peace, being pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, and good fruits, spiritual fruits. And that's what we're, we're getting into here. And this is where I believe all of those challenges to walk in unity and love, in light, in wisdom, and all of what Paul has said thus far. If you just stopped right there, we would have the tendency to go, man, I got, I, I got to get it together. I, man, whew. Almost like someone would be saying, okay, now this is Mount Everest. <laughs> this is how far it is. This is the elevation. Here's the path. And here's the course that you're to take. And you would look at all of that and go, that's Mount Everest. That's, that is a Mount Everest. I could never do that. Or if you, maybe you're like my wife, you just got this mind, you're like, oh, when do we start? You know? But that's not what we're left with here. It would be daunting if this is where Paul stopped. But he actually is just getting going. In verse 18, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Why is Paul using alcohol as an example here? He's, he's using something because he, Everybody in that culture would have known that, listen, when you take enough of this, you're controlled by this. That's the idea. It will have such an influence on you that you lose control because you're controlled by something else. That's the idea. And he's like, don't do that. That's dissipation. This is where drunkenness inevitably leads. Dissipation, 
asotia in the Greek, it, it, it speaks of that which is unable to save. It was used of a person who was hopelessly and incurably sick. It spoke of those that were loose and wasted their life away, like that of the prodigal son. Thus, this dissipation is a form of self-destruction. He's all, don't do that. Don't be controlled by anything that would lead to the destruction of your life. Don't do that. Instead, but be filled with the Spirit. Let me just say it this way. We cannot walk in humility, in unity, in light, in love, and in wisdom apart from the enabling and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Be filled, pleuro in the Greek, which is, you've heard me talk about this. It's the present passive tense, which means it's a continual thing that we should continue to experience. Keep being filled, or be being filled is how it would properly be broken down in English. Be being filled. And next, Paul points to four things. There might be more here, but four things that will manifest in our life and in our midst when we are filled. Who's he writing to? Christians. Chapters 1 through 3, all these amazing things that God has done in saving us. Christians who are walking, choosing to walk in unity, in love, in the light, in wisdom. Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting to one another in the fear of God. For you note-takers, the first one is... There's, there's communication here. Amongst the church, there's communication. They were speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, on the day of Pentecost, and following through the work of the Holy Spirit, listen, believers were united in the core of their being. You can't miss it. Spirit-filled Christians are experiencing the same spirit working something deeper into their lives when they are being filled with the Spirit. They are discovering a depth in the Lord that other Christians that are not being filled with the Spirit are not experiencing. They discover... And they are sharing a joy that is fresh. Maybe previously not even experienced, but now is being experienced over and over and over again each time that they are being filled with the Spirit. When a believer experiences a fresh 
infilling with the Holy Spirit. One of the first things that they are going to do is they are going to have a renewed, a refreshed interaction with the one who is doing this. Amen. You just, this isn't just some theoretical like, wow, okay, I'm going to have power tomorrow. I don't have it today. No, no, no. You are waiting upon the Lord. And we're going to get into the practical steps of this in just a minute. You're waiting upon the Lord. And he's waiting upon you. He's looking for your surrender. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but we'll get to the practical. But you're waiting upon the Lord. And the person that is familiar with this will tell you, what they experience is something greater with God than what they had a few minutes ago before he was filling them. There is an experience to being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me explain. If you talk to anybody who is familiar with being filled with the Holy Spirit, they'll say, in that moment, when, I, when I'm at that place of surrender and the Holy Spirit begins to just fill me anew, I have a greater love for God. I have a greater love for the one who is filling me with more of himself. Amen. <laughs> Am I the only one? Amen. Yeah, yeah. Amen. You are tonight. Got my amen corner. I love it. <laughs> I want you to really think through this. This might be one of the more important Bible studies we're going to have this year. I, want you, I don't want you to miss this. There are a lot of anemic Christians, there are a lot of impotent Christians. That would, would tell you they're saved. They'll even tell you the wonderful things they're doing for God. But words and work can sometimes not line up. How many of you guys know that? Okay. When a believer experiences, which we are to be experiencing, be being filled with the Holy Spirit, when we begin to experience that, the one that fills us, there's a response to him, greater love for him, a greater love and appreciation for his word, even in that moment, a greater love for all things of God, the people of God, the work of God, the ways of God. And in that sense, I'm experiencing some victory Previously, I might have experienced apathy and a distance. Even Mead was saying a distance from God. That happens to all of us. There might even be sin in my life that at that point in time, he's like revealing that. And I'm, I'm, I'm like giving him that place. There might be greater victory that comes out of this over sin. There might be greater power 
that he extends for ministry. It might even be at that time that he would, you know, extend more spiritual gifts. There's just so much that comes with a renewed, fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, corporately, this exchange, Paul says, is expressed. It's expressed by reading and teaching the scriptures and by worshiping God with music. It's just interesting how we have the phrase, birds of a feather flock together. You know, we have that phrase and we say it and we understand it, but Christians that are being filled with the Holy Spirit are drawn to this experience. They're drawn to others. When a believer experiences a fresh filling with the Holy Spirit, they will not be intoxicated by alcohol, but they will be intoxicated by God. When this happens, our hearts so overflow with love for God that our hearts, no matter what's going on, whether light or heavy, can't help but to sing both to God and to one another. No matter what our circumstances are, we overflow with love for God. We overflow with joy, which we'll see here, and thankfulness. I ask you, has that what you would describe the church in America over the last 12 months as? Early on in my life, I discovered this experience with other Christians at our church camps and outreaches. At the beginning of these camps and retreats in the past, they didn't start out this way. They didn't. In the younger days at youth camps, if you just, I look back at them and, and, I, and I, at the beginning of the camp when everyone was getting there and you know, eyeballing each one another, if we were filled with anything, we were filled with ourselves. <laughs> trying to be cool, trying to fit in. So grateful my, my folks raised me in the church and made me go to camps. There was not, a, there was not an option for the cook boys. I remember my parents dropping me off probably when I was a little too young and told my older brother, you watch him all week, and if he tries to call or anything, just beat him up. <laughs> Whatever they said. And so every year, twice a year, sometimes three times a year, I would watch. I would watch this supernatural thing take place where everybody got there there was always fearful ones, especially when we were younger, timid ones, reserved ones, mad doggers, proud, all of that. That's, that's how we, we started out. But as the days would go on, it, 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 it is so 100% the case of every camp I'd been to, I can tell you with great conviction. As the days would go on and we sat through worship, and prayer. At the beginning, 
worship, prayer, Bible studies, and especially the youth camps, arms folded. No one's opening a Bible, probably not even bringing them out of their backpacks. Couldn't wait to get out of there and talk to the girls and go to the snack bar and, you know, all that. Just the focus was on ourselves. The longer we just, we had to go. And they put us in these rooms, big rooms sometimes, hundreds of kids. The same thing would happen as we got older and with adults. Each Bible study, each prayer meeting, each time of worship, the Holy Spirit, who's just waiting to do what he was left on this planet Earth by Jesus to do, would start to find open hearts, surrendered hearts. Usually starting in the area of conviction. We'd see kids get saved. Others would be repenting and then breaking and then confessing. And with that, worship began to be more genuine. Hands would be raised in this room of cool cats. Altars would begin to fill up. Tears, hugs. Conversations changed. Our focus changed. We're now reading our Bibles. We didn't want to go to bed. Our counselors finally had open hearts. and they, We would have these services in our, our bunk beds. And I remember kids would be crying and, and the Spirit would come upon them. I'd hear my friends speaking in tongues. and I just, It was an amazing childhood to be raised up underneath all of that. You knew the Holy Spirit was doing a work when joy replaced coolness at the camp. That's why are you breaking it down that way? Because that's exactly what would happen in this room right now if we just allowed the Holy Spirit some time. It just, it's, it's what might happen tonight if Lance ever finishes. But there was, as we see here, there was communication, there was joy. They were singing and making melody in their heart to the Lord. It was just inner music of their souls was lifted up to God boldly, unashamedly, passionately, joyfully. I love a lot of rooms I like to be in, but this is one of my favorite rooms when the congregation is surrendered. I just love, I enjoy the Lord there so much. It's amazing. One of the memorable figures of the great Welsh revivals, his name was Billy Bray. He was a Cornish coal miner. His testimony, they often talked about his joy. He's chronicled, it's something you could look up. But speaking concerning the Lord, he said this. He has made me glad, and no one can make me sad. He makes me shout, and no one can make me doubt. He it is that makes me dance and leap. And there is no one that can keep down my feet. Thirdly, there was thanksgiving. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. They were 
this attitude of gratitude just took them over. This was supernatural. This was not the... the in the early church, you look at the disciples, this was not the deal. <laughs> Certainly the apostles were not that way before the Spirit came upon them, but they were after. And there was submission to one another, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And we know that the apostles, prior to the Spirit coming upon them, they were, they were more concerned about who was the greatest. But with the coming of the Holy Spirit, there's preference to others, submitting to one another. What a transformation. The Spirit comes upon us. They're filled. And then there's this thing happening deep down inside that flows out to others. They're unified in this. The early church had none of the things. You know, we, we, we talk about the church is essential. And there's the argument on that. The world's like, it's not essential. Well, the question would be, when you say that the church is essential, what are you referring to? A lot of the things that we think are so essential to the church, the early church, they, didn't, they wouldn't have thought about those things. The buildings and the, the, the finances and the political influence and social status that we think, oh, that's all essential. The church you know, had none of that. Yet they won multitudes to Christ and they saw many churches established throughout the Roman world. Why? Because they had the Holy Spirit empowering them. They were people who were ignited by the Spirit of God. A great author I read sometimes, Vance Havner, says, We are not going to move this world by criticism of it, nor conformity to it, but by the combustion within it of lives ignited by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. The kingdom of God, as it is, is advancing, he could talk a big talk. That's not the kingdom of God. Oh, look at the size of this. Oh, look at the size of that. Or look at what we're doing. No, no. No. It's the power. The kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Power, And where the Spirit of God empowers, there's evidence. There's transformation. There's renewal. There's refreshing. There's revival. There's spiritual fruit. I have a relative who just moved out of state, and he told me he went to a new church, and the church hadn't been meeting, and, and the pastor got up and just said, I believe God wants to save a whole bunch of people in our community. And he says, over the last, I don't know, 21 days, they, they've seen 700 people saved and they baptized them all. Amen. Some of you are like, I want to go to that church. No, you are that church. But where do you think those 700 people came from? They came from you. They came from congregants whose love for God was infectious because what he was working in by his spirit filling them was being lived out. And that is attractive. And you just, you, you can't hold that in. You want to share it. And that's what happens. 
we see a lot of impotent Christians trying to navigate through this fallen world in their own strength. And what that produces are Christians that don't look a whole lot different from the world. They think a lot like the world and they talk a lot like the world and they act a lot like the world because they lack the daily power that transforms their mind and makes them different from the world. It's just true. So when it comes to being filled with the Spirit, we don't need to beg God. We need to wait on that which is appropriated to us by faith. We've got to believe. But we don't just wait on God and believe. We are filled with the Holy Spirit by faith and faith alone, but it's also important to recognize a few factors that contribute to preparing our heart for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you just to think through this logically. We know what the Holy Spirit does. We just talked about four things that he does when he, he fills people. Okay? Now, the question is, do you think God knows your heart when you come to him and say, fill me? Now, what if God says, well, my, my filling you is going to fill you up with love for me. And that love for me is going to give you a boldness to talk about me. And my filling you might empower the gifts in you. And I want to use those gifts in you. And by the way, my filling you is going to attract you to others that are doing the same thing. Because the DNA of my family is to draw, it's, it's, it's drawing to us together. And, 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 and the Lord, most of all, is just looking at our hearts. He's looking at our hearts. Are we really surrendered? Maybe in the moment, but he knows tomorrow. He knows our attitude. He knows if we're really willing to change our calendar or not. And so you have people. I remember one guy, you know, we used to have these pre-glows and, and we'd, we'd do them for a while. That's we just wait on the Lord before services and stuff. And then inevitably people, anyway, it just gets, it gets odd. And we've got to shut them down and start them up again. But there was, there was a couple of guys that come to me and go, man, I've been, I've been coming here and I'm just waiting for the Spirit to like, you know, you talk about the Spirit comes. I've heard people speak in tongues. I've heard prophecies. I've heard visions. I've heard, nothing's happening to me. And, and when I'd hear that, I'd be like, God knows your heart. Do you want the Holy Spirit for your reasons to fill you? Your reluctance, you're here, you can go this far, but no, no, no farther, God? Or do you want the Holy Spirit to fill you for his reasons? He knows. And so, I think it's important. If I come to him and say, fill me, I better have a desire for him to lead me. I better have like a full surrender to please him. And Lord, fill me, you know. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. We have the promise of Jesus. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Is that what you want, Lance? 
Or do you just want an experience? You just want some warm fuzzies? Second, we need to be willing to surrender our life totally and irrevocably to our Lord. Remember what Paul admonished in Romans 12, 1 and 2? Offer your bodies a living sacrifice to the Lord, which is pleasing to him, which is your spiritual service. And then we need to confess our sins. You know, Jesus had that in Matthew chapter 5. He talked about, you know, you, you want to come to the, the, the altar. I know you want to come and, and, and have some really, you know, bring your sacrifice to me and whatever you do in that setting. But before you come into that setting, if your brother's offended you, you go and you deal with that first. There's so many people that are like, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit, but I am not going to forgive them or them. I'm not going to settle this. I'm not going to work on restoration over there. I'm not going to be about reconciliation over there. But fill me, Lord. As we go through the fruit of the Spirit, what's at the top of the list? Love. What's the most gracious thing you can do to exercise that love? Forgive people. So there's, it's not like I'm just going to sit and wait and, and by faith believe. No, there's some things I've got to be resigned to. Like wholeheartedly, irrevocably, God, let's go. And that might lead to confessing sin. I cannot control myself and be controlled by the Holy Spirit at the same time. I cannot hold on to my agenda and ask for his. Jesus cannot be in control if I am in control of my life. I must abdicate. I must. This involves faith. It involves being all in. What would this church look like if we went beyond believing this to practicing this? There'd be churches in Tennessee talking about us. Not churches in California talking about church in Tennessee. I'm not saying this in a get-it-together way. I'm saying it with a heavy heart, knowing what God is going to need to do to work through the indifference that has set in in the body of Christ over the last 12 months. It's going to have to be a work of the Holy Spirit. We're not going to preach our way through this. (laughs) We're not going to committee our way through this. We're not going to small group our way through this. We're not going to get bigger cameras and bigger PowerPoint and work our way through this. We're not going to work our way through this with the influence of social media. We're not going to work our way through this by having a new children's wing. We're not going to work our way through this by having a Seder service, Easter sunrise service, or Easter services. In order for us to not be a church that's filled with indifference, we are going to have to be a church that's filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's it. 
It's as simple as that. And you know it's real. You know it is the thing that the Holy Spirit needs to work with right now in our own hearts. And that's why I was so on the fence Sunday morning. I'm like, ah, you know, I got, I got a lot of like teaching stuff the next couple of weeks lined up. And I'm like, ah, I, I, I want to teach. It's in my heart right now. And I, one of the services I asked people, how many of you will, at the end of my teaching, I typically think I've got about most of them or their attention by then. I said, how many of you guys will, 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 by a show of hands, you will be online on Wednesday night? And I'm really sorry I asked that question. It really bummed me out. Not like in my flesh, like, oh, I can't believe people are watching me. No. I just realized we are so much that. The indifference. The, the influence of, of other things other than our Lord will pull us apart and keep us apart. But we'll still say we're Christians. We'll say, still say I go to that church. And we'll still... But the influence of the Holy Spirit will pull us together. Is that, is that clear to you? So that's why my heart grieves. Is, well, this is a bigger task than I thought. It's not my problem. It's your problem. But boy, this is really hard to watch. And you say, but yeah, it was here Sunday and there's all these people. It isn't a matter of numbers. It's a matter of does he have our attention? Does he have our heart? There is no way we're going to walk in unity, in love, in wisdom. We just, we're just not unless we are walking together filled with the Spirit. Amen? Amen. All right, let's stand. I'm going to ask me to come up here. We used to go to 8.30, so we're doing that tonight for a few minutes here. But I just, I don't need to repeat anything. If, if something landed on you, that's the Lord. Embrace that. But there's a really, a really cool song I asked me to play, and I want to read it. It's just, it really ties into what we're saying. It's I Surrender All. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him. In his presence, daily live. And then the, 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 the refrain, I surrender all, I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. That's the course. Next line, all to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures, all forsaken. Take me, Jesus, take me now. Again, the course, the next line. All to Jesus, I surrender. Make me Savior, holy thine. Let me feel thy Holy Spirit. Truly know that thou art mine. again next line all the Jesus I surrender Lord I give myself to thee fill me with thy love and power let thy blessing fall
course again. Last line. All to Jesus I surrender. Now I feel thy sacred flame. Oh, the joy of full salvation. Glory, glory to his name. That song is the sermon you just heard. So you might not know all the words. We've got them up here. And just think about these words and surrender. And ask him to fill you. And enjoy the Lord.